the, the saying is the more you have, the happier you'll be. Or what, what do you see on bumper stickers sometimes? The one with the most toys wins. <laughs> you know, you win for a little while, but then somebody comes and takes your trophy away. You know, you, you, don't, you take the trophy away. You're not even happy anymore. So here's the picture from Bible times. We had a guy who went back in time and snapped these pictures from like Jesus' neighborhood. But this is what the inside of a Jewish home in Jesus' country, in his part of the land, and people of his income level, which was the vast majority of them. There were people who were filthy rich, but there were not very many at all, like maybe the top 5%. You had one room, you have this stage, that's where everybody sleeps. Um, when nighttime comes or you're done with the meals, you pack up all that stuff, you know, the eating utensils, and then you usher in your animals, whatever you have, chickens, goats, sheep, whatever. You didn't have the big livestock animals. Uh, maybe somebody had an ox and everybody would borrow it or something. But those animals stayed inside at night. Then you locked the door. So it's a combination barn and home. And this is the whole interior of your home. One good thing is you did not need a heating system because the body heat of the animals would compensate for any cold weather. The other part that we don't like to think about probably is the smells and maybe some parasites that the animals had, but those people had to live with that. Adam and Eve named their second child Abel. There was, who knows the first one? Cain. Cain. Oh, you guys are way smarter than I was told you would be. Just kidding. And their second child's name was Abel. And Abel is a Hebrew word. A lot of people argue about what language did people at the beginning, Adam and Eve and everybody else, what language did they speak? Oh, when I was growing up, all those German grandmas and grandpas said it was German, of course, because, you know, God loves German people. But Jewish people say it was Jewish that was the first language and they say, because this name Abel is a Jewish word. In fact, it's the same word that starts out this Bible book that we're looking at today, Ecclesiastes. The, the book begins um, with two words. Uh, I don't know if you remember how this goes. Uh, the old translations that I grew up with said, I think it said vanity. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. The Hebrew word was Abel. In other words, Adam and Eve had their kids after they messed up everything in the world, in the universe. They messed it totally up when they sinned. And then that's when all kinds of prob problems in life that didn't exist before came flooding into their lives and they saw even if I pay the cable bill, I, it, another one comes in a couple weeks, I gotta pay it again. If I wash the dishes, if I sweep the floor, it just gets dirty and needs to be done again. I used to tell my mom when she got us to do chores when we were kids, my mine was dusting. And I'd say, look at the window. You can see those little dust mites coming in the window. As soon as I get done, it's going to be dirty again. She said, just shut up and do the dusting. 
But that's what Adam and Eve saw too, is that you were never finished with anything. Everything was meaningless. That's what some translations say now. Meaningless, meaningless is how Ecclesiastes starts out. Solomon's saying everything is meaningless, really meaningless. Vanity, meaningless. Another word would be waste of time. And it was such a pronounced life change for Adam and Eve that they named their son that, not because they hated him, but I think to remind everybody why we need the news about Jesus and a better life to come. So Abel means waste of time. And it shows up in this Bible section today. There was a spot in the middle of this Bible section where it said this too is meaningless or a waste of time that you, you get all kinds of stuff, you buy all kinds of stuff, and then either it wears out, it breaks down, or you get tired of it. So it's all a waste of time. So then you replace it with something else you're really jacked about, and then you don't love that either. The second law of thermodynamics, because all of us pastors know all that physics stuff, says Everything that you buy or get goes from good, from excellent, and then it declines. It gets worse. This is called the law of entropy. This week you can show off a little bit by throwing that out in conversations with somebody at break time. Yeah, that's the law of entropy. Everybody go, wow, look at you. But here's another way of looking at it. This is somebody who's fixed up their yard really fine. It looks good. Everything's neat and in order. But then when you go away, then look what happens. All kinds of junk automatically grows in that you didn't want there that's unsightly, and it's a mess. This happens all the time for everything. You buy a brand new car, it's worth one thing when the sticker's on it, When you drive it out, you know it just dropped in value by like thousands of dollars. So what good was that really? This law of entropy is one of the, we might say, oh, that really stinks. But God left it as part of our world so that we would see you can't get happiness from what you can have or buy in this life. So it was Job the, the book of Job might be the very first Bible book, uh, you know, time-wise, because there's no Jewish people yet. And when uh, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first Bible books, he was living about 2,000 years before Jesus. Job may have lived even earlier than that. And he knows this, and God had him put it down in writing for us to benefit from, We bring nothing at birth. We take nothing with us when our bodies die. People come into this world with nothing. When their bodies die, they leave with nothing. Another important fact that God tells us, and we all shake our heads and go, yeah, I know, that's that's absolutely true. But that doesn't stop us from doing what comes natural to us, and that is not being content, not being happy with whatever lot in life God chooses uh, to give us. 
I helped out in the Apache Reservation down in Arizona for a, a little while. And the missionary who was there said, I got to go to somebody's house who has a dead relative, and I want you to see this. So we went over there, and the whole backyard, they had specially had corrugated metal and walled it off because they were going to have a party. And then when we walked in, I mean, we were the only white people in there. That, that, that feels really good. And so... Um, then the missionary tells me, um, we got to go find the family and have a devotion with them, reminding them these promises the Bible says. So we asked around, where's the family? They're in the shed there. So I go in the shed, and there's the casket with the dead guy in it. They had to put him on ice for like two weeks or something so they could get this whole party set up. And then we had the devotion. But then the pastor told me, the missionary told me, when they bury him, I'm not going to take you to that, but when they bury him, they throw in all kinds of stuff, you know, really neat quilts and beaded, you know, works and stuff. And then you can watch the ants bring the stuff up out of the grave onto, out into the open again, their stuff. You, you can try to take stuff with you, but you really aren't taking it with you because you're not in your body. Your body's there in an empty suit and it can't benefit from any of that stuff. So when our bodies die, we do leave with nothing, even if people may think they can uh, fix things up. You know who this guy is? Ross Perot. Ross Perot ran for president one time. And he was... I think a billionaire. And he told people, if you want to see the most unhappy people that you will ever see, you come to the yacht club and you watch the owners who are always having some big ticket maintenance item that they have to take care of, even though they have these massive crafts that are luxury water vehicles. They're the most unhappy people you've ever seen because there's constant issues. It's, and you've heard people talk about this with their boats, you know. It's just a, a pit for throwing money into all the time. And that's a God thing, too. He's trying to remind us. You might think you can find happiness out there, but you won't find it unless you get the news about Jesus that the Bible contains and informs us about. Everything is just like a sandcastle. You know, it just ends up deteriorating a lot faster. I mean, it's a castle, but it's going down when the tide comes up and there's nothing anybody can do about it and that's why this is the best news in the world right at the beginning people man and God were on the same team right and Satan existed and he was over there but he wanted to separate people from their creator and the one who loved them more than anybody else ever could 
So then what happened? He tempted Adam and Eve. They gave into it and they aligned themselves. They allied themselves with Satan. The Bible says nobody's born in the image of God anymore since Adam and Eve and Satan. They're born in the image of Satan. And there's nothing they can, they don't even see it until God turns on the light in their heads with the news about what Jesus did in our place. He took our place, suffered our punishment, and got us back into God's family, even though those were impossible odds that that could ever take place. The Bible puts it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. How many times do you see the word curse there? I see one, two, three. Curse is the fancy Bible word for damned. Damning, when we say that God should damn something, nothing happens. But when God says, I'm damning you, it actually happens. You suffer the full punishment, the never-ending punishment of hell a place the Bible even struggles to unpack for us, and we just get a taste of it. This is what it's saying happened to Jesus in our place. He took the punishment in our place and earned us the halo, the the spandex Jesus costume that entitles us to not just a free ride into heaven, but being in God's good graces all the time so that everything he allows to happen in our life ends up being a blessing. I'll leave you with uh, one more thought. You want to you want to picture a a really high mountain, higher than Mount Everest. You know, maybe a mountain that no one's ever been to the top of. It's so far up there, and this bird makes it to the top of this mountain, and it sits at the peak, and it takes its beak, and it pecks at the mountain top the top rock. Now, how do you think that's going to go? It's a bird beak versus a rock. And not good at all. The point of the story is that the amount of time it takes that bird to chisel the whole massive mountain down to nothing. Just think, it's probably going to take years just for him to peck one little pebble off the top of that thing. The amount of time it takes him to peck the whole mountain down to nothing is how long one second after this life is. That's what we call eternity. And there's a reason they call it that. That leaves this life being nothing but a tiny little squib that we were part of. And this is what is at stake with what God tells us about. He doesn't want us to be in that bad place for all time, for all time. And so he gave us the news about Jesus. The other thing to keep in mind too is when Jesus is on the cross, he's suffering eternity of damnation in our place. I don't know how God condensed it down to those six hours, but he did. Jesus didn't miss out on one second of our eternal punishment. And this is why Christians feel so indebted to Jesus. There's nothing we got to do to get on his good side. He's taken care of it all already. I don't know if it's true, but I read 
that Queen Elizabeth said, not before she died or anything, but, you know, she was a serious Christian, and she said she hoped that Jesus would come back in her lifetime, she said, because I want to lay my crown at his feet. Because she says, I got everything, but I'm an internal mess, and I need, I depend on what Jesus did in my place. That is literally everything. He's the boss. He made stuff happen that none of us could ever make. And so, you know, Jesus didn't come back in this life for her to do that, but she still got a chance, didn't she, to lay her crown at Jesus' feet and thank him for being her substitute too. God plugs us into this news when we get a chance to listen to what the Bible says or read it on our own at home. God plugs us into this news so that we get a proper perspective and we can work on correct priorities. Here's a good way to end and a good philosophy of life. Make as much money as you can. Save as much as you can. And give away as much as you can. Because we know the real facts of life, don't we? We're not going to be able to keep it. It's not going to make us happy. Why did God give it to me? So I can benefit other people. So I can be God's blessing to other people. And so this gives our lives real purpose. People will go, yeah, well, the news about Jesus is really nice. But now what? This is the what. Reaching more people with his news, and we can use what he's given us to help them with that. They're going to appreciate our generosity, and the more we do it, they're going to say, what is wrong with you? And then we'll be able to tell them. This, this, this news about Jesus, that's what makes all the difference.